we're going to do this morning is we're going to do part two, part two on the power of gratitude. Kenton Beach Court spoke last week. Was anybody here to hear Kenton? Come on. Yep. Uh, Kenton is a great speaker. And so if you didn't get to see the message, it's, it's uh, online for free forever. But uh, I love that you invited uh, people to come to hear Kenton too. It's really powerful. So because it was so awesome, we're going to do that again. I'm uh, going to carry it. So this is 2.0 on the power of gratitude here. I want to ask you if you're able to stand to your feet, to stand as we read the scripture together. Uh, just one verse. We're going to unpack this verse our whole time this morning. Found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. On the count of three, if you could read that together. One, two, three. In everything, thanks. And Father, thank you that we're here this morning. And as we turn to your word, we thank you that we can come together. Thank you for your word that does not wither, does not fade away. Father, I pray you'd speak to ears that are open and hearts that are ready to receive. And maybe uh, we be renewed in gratitude as a result of being here today. And we ask you to add your blessing to this morning at the reading and the hearing and the application of your word today. And everyone agreed by saying, what if I told you? What if I told you that scientists have discovered uh, something that can dramatically change your life mentally, emotionally, and physically? Would you, would you want to hear about that? Dramatically impact your life. What if I told you that uh, the research is there? And by the way, when I, when I talk about this, I'm going to talk about the science of it a little bit. And I want you to know that I just didn't stumble across some of these thoughts just uh, randomly. Uh, when I was in school, I had to take uh, neuroanatomy, uh, neurophysiology, uh, neuropsychology, molecular biology. Uh, I had to take biochemistry, histology, on and on and on. So when I talk about this, I talk about the science. I've trafficked in it uh, when I was in school. So what if I told you there's hardcore science that conclusively proves that your life will be changed if you'll do what we're going to talk about this morning. If you get intentional about gratitude. Because the research, it's staggering, it's undeniable, and it demonstrates that it will improve your, your health in every way. Again, emotionally, mentally, physically. Because uh, if you buy into it, here's what happens. Here's what happens. Uh, you have key neurotransmitters in your brain. Dopamine, serotonin other ones, norepinephrine. You have these neurotransmitters which translate uh, pathways, the neural pathways in the brain from one uh, neuron to a synaptic cleft. They're released there to another one. Those get strengthened, something called neuroplasticity. They get strengthened as you do gratitude. So what we're talking about here is you're talking about how changing how you feel, changing how you sleep, changing your ability to deal with stress, talking about improving your relationships. And the best part of it is it's 100% free if you'll just do it. And so uh, if we were watching like on Facebook now and you heard all that information, you'd be like, where, where do I click to get more information? How do I sign up? And so the scientific benefits of, of gratitude are staggering. And they're written by people like, the Mayo Clinic in UCLA, 
universities across America, Harvard University. So it's not like church talk or Christian talk. This is the science of the unchurched, proving what God has said here. And so, uh, so the important thing, though, is that we, we listen to it, hear it, and that we be not just hearers of the word, but doers of it. And so think about it. You get to choose the kind of life that you want to live, and you, why, why wouldn't you choose a more grateful life in light of the benefits? And I'm going to unpack more of the benefits in just a little bit. Because gratitude, then, is a choice. Our, and it's a choice to let what you feel and what you think come to expression outwardly. Isn't it true, then, that sometimes you can be well-meaning and sincere, but withhold gratitude? Withhold gratitude without realizing it. Isn't it true that there are a few things in your life that bother you more when people don't express gratitude toward you and you feel nothing but their ingratitude? Does any of that bother anybody? Come on. Besides me, it bothers you, doesn't it? So ingratitude communicates, even if you're feeling it in your heart. Think about this. But if it doesn't come to outward expression, it communicates like, well, you owed me anyways. I deserved it. And so why, why would I say thank you for that? You owed me. So let me say something to you uh, for if you're in school in any way, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, let me say this. It really applies to, to everyone, but to be grateful for everything, but be out loud about it. Be out loud. It's not enough to think it. It's not enough to process it, have it in your heart or your mind here. And you can think that, uh, well, of course people know I'm gratitude, or, or like students, well, of course they know I'm thankful for my room or my cool clothes or my car or my whatever gifts from my parents. That's their job. Yes, it is their job, but here's the point. The scriptures are telling us to turn up, to dial up the gratitude in your life, to be really ridiculously grateful. So the goal for this morning is, is that we would be inspired, we'd be motivated, we'd feel like capacitated on how we could take another step in our gratitude journey. So we're going to be looking at many scriptures. And for some of you, these are scriptures that will remind you, uh, but maybe renew you and shape you in your understanding about how it is that we can be a grateful people. Does anybody want to be more grateful? Do you want to have ingratitude and tick everybody off the rest of your life? So anyway... Kenton talked last week, and he said this. He said, look, you need to write down one study done by Harvard. There's multiple studies nationally. One that he talked about shows six times a day. Other ones will talk about three times a day. Even one of them talked about one time a day to get over trauma. Uh, they, did, they did one study with Vietnam veterans that showed if you, they'd write down one thing a day, it improved their recovery from uh, trauma about 46%. Just writing down one thing a day. So anyway, it doesn't have to be six. There's no magic number. But the thing is, is that you do it consistently. Some people talk about starting a gratitude journal. And then the thing is, you, you have to be physical and intentional about writing things down for this to work. So Kenton talked about, you know, hey, you have a car. Maybe it's a beater. Maybe it has tomatoes for tires. It's held together by duct tape. And what did he say? I want what I have. It what? It couldn't be better. One more time. I want what I have it. All right. And so, and just realizing, hey, I have a place to live. Uh, I can see. I have food for tomorrow. And so, uh, anyway, so this scripture here, 1 
Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. It's very simple and to the point. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, or this is God's will in Christ Jesus. So in a world gone crazy, he doesn't say thank God for everything, but thank him in everything. And so I want you to note four things here this morning. One is the command. Uh, secondly, I'm going to talk about the science, the charge, and then the choice. So the command, in everything give thanks. So watch, watch, look at me. Everybody look at me. So this is the divine expectation. The divine expectation is that you would do this. In other words, uh, it's a command, if you will. It's a divine decree. If you're a Christ follower, it's not optional. You can't be neutral about it. The Bible says in, uh, in Psalms, it says this, it is good to give thanks to God. It is good, a good thing to do, because God is good there. He's the source of everything that's good. And the Bible makes it clear that you as a Christ follower are to be thankful. So what is gratitude then? What does it look like when you, you have gratitude? Well, gratitude then, it really is a pathway. It's a journey then. It's, a, it's embracing a grateful heart. It's having thankful appreciation for what you've received for your life there. It's acknowledging God's goodness in your life. So what does gratitude do? Gratitude helps you to refocus from what you don't have to what you do have. Think about that. Think about when you, you look at Facebook. You think about all the things that you don't have, look at someone else's life, and then uh, uh, that causes, you know, Facebook depression and all that too. So what you do then is you're focusing on what you have. In a world that is relentlessly telling you what you don't have, gratitude reminds you of what you do have. So if you want to change your life, you want to change your state of being, you want to uh, do something that will change you, gratitude is going to change you. I want to look at this story of the 10 lepers found in Luke chapter 17, the famous narrative that Jesus talked about on his way to Jerusalem, when he's going to die for the sins of the world, he stops there, Samaria, to talk to the 10 lepers there. And so uh, what I want to challenge you about is this. You have 10, and you have a choice to be like the nine, or you can be like the one. And I want to submit to you that it's very easy to be like the nine. It's very, very easy to be like the nine. And I think sometimes they even sort of get a bad rap. We say, well, they were so ungrateful. So I'm not convinced they were ungrateful. If you had been healed of leprosy, you probably would want to get on with your life, Right? And so you can understand the, the absolute euphoria that you're feeling about. You've been healed. I mean, you're high-fiving and chest-bumping every person that you can see there. You're healed of it. So maybe it's just that they, they forgot to bless the blesser and went on with life. And it wasn't that they were ungrateful, but, the, but their gratitude never came to expression. They never came back to Christ more on that in just a moment. So the 10 lepers then is the story here, the desperate 10. They're rejected, they're isolated, they're despondent, they're depressed, they're united in their community of absolute misery. Being a leper was a serious indictment in culture where you were isolated, you were ostracized, uh, you for all purposes, even though you were living, you were dead. I mean, socially, you were dead. Culturally, you were dead. Spiritually, you're almost dead. You're not even allowed 
in the temple. And so lepers were kicked out of town. They had to live in designated areas. They had to live on the outskirts of town. Uh, they were unsightly, awful, horrific-looking bodies there, destined to poverty. Uh, they stood at a distance, watch, and they just watched everybody else live their lives. I have been to a leper colony in America. It, I was helicoptered down on a remote island in an inaccessible, isolated area. We were, uh, I was here from the tent to the leper colony when we landed. I could see the lepers, that they were, they were just some scattered homes there, and I could see them, and I tried not to look like I was watching them, but really, I was just, I was completely uh, uh, wanting to observe them. So I was, I, was, I was looking, you know, trying not to be obvious, but I was observing and watching them because I could see into their homes. And let me tell you, it was the most depressed, isolated, sad, dark, despondent, discouraging place I've ever seen with nothing even a remotely close possibility. And I've been to some of the poorest countries in the world. It exceeded all of them. So it says here the story about them, verse 12, watch. It says, they stood, they stood afar off. It said, so they're clustered. See in your mind, they're clustered together. They've heard about Jesus and his reputation and they're waiting to see him. And he's their only hope there. And so uh, it says then that they're watching afar off. They're from a distance. I think people feel like this way about God sometimes, that they're just watching afar off. And you see that God is a God that comes near. So Jesus then connects with those that are far off. He's their only hope. There's no medicine like there is today. He's their only hope. The next verse, 13. They lifted up their voices. They said, Jesus, Master. They recognized who he was. They recognized that he's the only one that can help us, that he is the, the, the master of all. And so, and it says in the next verse, when he saw them, he said, go. Now think about this. Jesus saw the outcasts of society that no one else saw. Look, no one else sees them. No one else notices them. No one else wants to have anything to do with them. And this is what God is like. Jesus sees your life this morning that no one else sees. So he looked at the lepers and saw their pain, saw what no one else saw. He sees their isolation their brokenness, their hopelessness, their helplessness. And again, this is what God is like. And he knew what they were thinking before they even asked him. God sees our condition. He says this to him in the next verse. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they're thinking to themselves. They had to be thinking to themselves, go like, go like you, you want everybody else tells us to go away. No, no, that's not what Jesus was talking about here. They're thinking no one's excited to see us including the priests don't want to see us. Why would we go to the priests? And so Jesus asked the desperate 10 to act on his word when it was not their reality. They had no reality that they were healed. None whatsoever. And the only reason you would go to the priests, they were like the health authorities to tell you like, yeah, you're good. You can enter back into culture. You're clean. And so they were going in there full of leprosy and it says that as they went, they were cleansed. But at this moment here, when Jesus tells them to go, they have, it's not their reality at whatsoever. And so these desperate lepers then who are not healed begin to walk down the road in the direction of obedience of what God had told them. So as they went, 
they were cleansed. In other words, it was not immediate. It was progressive. It was little by little that they were healed there, step by step. So only one then of the lepers turns back. So you have an interesting twist in the story. It says in verse 15, one of them, when he was healed, came back, praising God with a loud voice. I love the loud voice, and, and uh, that's for another time to maybe talk about that. But I just want you to notice that sometimes it's good to be loud. It says in Revelation, they praise him with a loud voice. And so it's not just a polite little praising God. It was with a loud voice that he's praising Jesus. And so, and he throws him at his feet and he begins to thank him. So the one, watch this, the one then that you really want to be like the one responded and brought gratitude to the feet of Jesus, which makes me think then, uh, what has God done in my life uh, that I take for granted? Is there anything in your life this morning that on the gratitude scale, you would say, oh, yeah, I, I think I took that for granted and maybe that for granted. I could be more grateful in this area of my life. And when we realize what Jesus has done for us, our response is a, is a heart of gratitude. So grateful for what you have, is that you? Or kind of grumbling for what you don't have. The Lord had done for the one leper what he couldn't do for himself. He did for all 10, the desperate 10. But only one came back and gave them, gave Jesus thanks. Think about that. Jesus has just given them their life back, and one of the 10 gives thanks. One of the 10 feels grateful. One of the 10 expresses it. One of the 10, ten demonstrates it. But I think the truth is, it's something that we all need to do. He showed gratitude. And then he went back and gave thanks to Christ. Verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Watch this little, little extra. And he was a Samaritan. Well, what's that all about? Well, a Samaritan was an outsider. A Samaritan, he's a double outsider. Not only is he a leper, leper, but also a Samaritan on top of that. A foreigner. The least, the last, the left out. Those who couldn't even go to the temple there, alienated, discriminated against, extra grateful because of all that. And so this incident um, doesn't end here. Jesus asked a question, a penetrating question, a searching question, a stinging observation here. He says, well, what about the 10? Like, wasn't there 10 that got healed? And then he says this, what about the other nine? And so no one comes back to give praise to God except like the one. So there's a message for us in this story here. Who do you want to be like? Again, I submit to you, they were all grateful. The other nine, they were just so enraptured in their healing that they couldn't get, they just didn't think to go back and say thanks. But they were all grateful. Who couldn't be grateful when you're healed of leprosy? When there's a death sentence on your life, and now you're healed and free. And so, But the recipients there, the recipients, some of them, with respect to Christ, kept their mouths closed. They never said thank you. How can you be blessed to that degree and not say thank you? They missed the moment there that passed them by. They missed the opportunity to express their gratitude. Their entire destiny has been changed 
and they do nothing about it. Sort of like some people today, some Christ followers say, your entire destiny can be changed, but what are you doing about it in terms of your, rest, uh, in terms of your gratitude? Think about them. They're restored to their families. They're restored to their work again. They're, they're, now they can go into the temple for the first time since they got the diagnosis. And so, uh, but here's the point that I want to make here. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Think about that. Unexpressed gratitude, even though you may feel it like the lepers felt it, but it never came to outward expression, so it communicates ingratitude. And so you have to act on it. See, our feelings of gratitude, oh, I feel so gratitude. I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. I get all that, but your feelings of gratitude don't close the gratitude loop. There's nothing to close the loop there. And so never expressing gratitude to them or to God never closes the loop. Think about that. See, there's an issue here. There's an issue in America. There's an issue in the church that we don't close the loop. And so that's what it's talking about here. Not thinking it. See, where it doesn't come to expression in your pen or maybe your fingers or a text or an email or a direct thank you. Could it be, could it be that sometimes we're more like the nine, grateful but never express it, than the one that actually did? And so... Who do you want to be like? The nine or the one? So you get to decide, and, and watch, you get to decide your story, one expression of gratitude at a time. One at a time here. Gratitude that we feel that don't express translate again to ingratitude. So here's my challenge to you. Let's decide today. Can we please decide today to be the one? Uh, does us no good to come here and sit in church or watch online and not decide to be like the one rather than the other nine. Let's make up our minds to be like the one that went back, did something, expressed his gratitude there. So Jesus asked again a provocative question. Well, what happened to the 10? I'll tell you what happened. You want to know what happened? They're enjoying the blessing. They're enraptured in the blessing. They're so excited about the blessing that they forget the blessor and did nothing about that. And so it's a sort of a stinging illustration there that Jesus recounts for them and for us. So now the second thing that I want to do is I want to talk about the science, the neuroscience behind the gratitude. So gratitude is golden. Can everybody say that on the count of three? One, two, three. Gratitude is golden. So why should I have gratitude? Well, I, I mean, if that's not convincing enough, let, let's let the science convince us. How am I better off? What is the benefit of gratitude? Apart from that, apart from that, what I just said there, let me show you. So this is the research again from Harvard University, UCLA, Mayo Clinic, and dozens of other universities uh, that have talked about this here. So what gratitude does is, in short, gratitude changes your brain. It changes your brain, for real. See, when you express gratitude, you tap into something called neuroplasticity. What that is, is that the brain has the capacity to physically restructure and to create better brain cell pathways or connections. That's what the neurotransmitters 
are translated along when they go from neuron to synaptic cleft to neuron. And the neurotransmitters are then released in the synaptic cleft, the dopamine, the, the serotonin, then fires up the next one. Well, those get stronger in your brain when you express gratitude. And that's what the science proves here. And so UCLA did a study on a molecular level studying the brain structure and showed that, that gratitude changes your brain on a molecular level. That's the power of gratitude. Smart people and white coats showing the power of gratitude. And so what attitude does then is it, it activates a part of the brain called the, the hypothalamus. I just want to show you right here. It's by the pituitary gland, uh, the most important uh, gland in your, in your brain there. So it's the, it's the area that's orange right there. It's noted in the, in the yellow. So it's right there, uh, the pituitary gland, uh, 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 right, right superior to that is a hypothalamus. And so when you express gratitude, it impacts the hypothalamus uh, in such a way then it sparks your brain there. And the hypothalamus controls your hormones, your body temperature, your hunger, your mood, all of that. It is so important, but that is impacted on a molecular level. The research shows by UCLA when you express gratitude. And so gratitude then, what it is doing, it is unlocking the neuroplasticity of your brain. Gratitude then, it's unlocking neurochemicals or neurotransmitters in the brain. And so now, when you go from ingratitude to gratitude, then there is a surge in dopamine. Uh, it's like giving you a shot of, of fresh dopamine. Uh, it's like giving you a, a, a swig, if you will, of serotonin. And, and these are, these are antidepressant uh, neurotransmitters. Uh, they're similar in their, their, uh, their efficacy uh, neurologically. And so the practice of gratitude, then, what the research shows is it has dramatic and lasting effects on your life. And so how gratitude, then, uh, it's scientifically proven by boatloads of research. Uh, uh, so it is there. You can Google it. Uh, it minimizes toxic emotions like envy and resentment and regret. It re uh, it, gratitude reduces depression. It affects scientifically, it's shown your blood pressure, uh, your A1C, uh, your diastolic, your systolic blood pressure there. Uh, so it even has shown, there's even research that shows that gratitude reduces social comparisons with people facing Facebook depression because they're looking at all the Facebook trailers and, uh, and then getting depressed about the highlight reel of someone else's life, thinking about, how your life stinks here. It improves your sleep. People have sleeping problems. Gratitude improves your sleep here, improves your immune system. Uh, it, it helps manage grief. Uh, it makes you less materialistic. Uh, it improves your decision-making skills. It improves relationships. It improves romantic relationships. The list is on and on. It changes your life. And so golden is what? Is golden. Gratitude is golden, right? Can we say it one more time? Gratitude is golden. And so, change your life. So, number three is the gratitude charge. It says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Okay, be thankful in what? In some things? No, in everything. Notice it doesn't say for everything. Does it say for everything? No. 
but in, in everything. So that's the huge difference. It doesn't say like, hey, when you're sick, you know, give thanks to God for your sickness. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say be, you're thankful to be sick. It doesn't say, hey, uh, give thanks when you're broke. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say give thanks when you got bur burglarized. It doesn't say that. It says give thanks in everything, not for everything. See, when things go wrong, you can still give thanks. Not for the thing that went wrong, but in the midst of what is going wrong, you can still give thanks there. And so Habakkuk is a great illustration of this. So I'm going to just kind of walk us through this. It's very poetic and beautiful and illustrates the point how when your life stinks and it cannot go any worse, you can still give thanks to God and have gratitude in your heart. So watch this. Habakkuk chapter 3, the minor prophet says in verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom. In other words, there's zero fruit uh, uh, showing up like I want it to, like things are not going how I want them to go. There's zero fruit out there. The job is not profitable. My profit margin stinks here. Nothing is like I hoped it would be. Then he says, there's no grapes on the vine. For the farmer, this is really bad news. A bad season. Can't be any worse. This is the worst circumstance imaginable. That in that culture, wine was very important. Like there's, they cannot move forward. Though the olive crop fails. Olives in Israel are, are central to the culture there. So this is saying the economy is crashing. Then he says, and fields, uh, the fields produce no food. I'm broke. The banks are foreclosing. Things are really bad. There's no profit whatsoever. Though there are no sheep in the pen. You sell your flock, you make money. That's like your money in the bank. All the money is gone here. Everything is going wrong. There's no cattle in the star in the in the stalls. The stock markets are crashing. It's a bad year. This is the worst year of my life. And in light of that, what does he say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice not for all of the things that are happening, but I can rejoice in the Lord. I can rejoice in the God of my salvation. So see, friends, look, I know you can build that into your life. You can build that gratitude in your life when things stink everywhere around you. You can always have this posture of Habakkuk 3.18 and 19 that says, the sovereign Lord, in the midst of it all, he's strengthening me, helping me to make my way through it. Even though I can't thank God for my circumstances, I can thank God that God is with me in the middle of my stinky circumstances. They're strengthening me, helping me. I'm not in this storm all by myself. I'm thanking God that I'm not in the boat all by myself, even though, even though I don't see him changing my situation. I don't see his hand of God moving. I don't see prayers answered. So the gratitude charge in everything, not for, but in everything, in the midst of it, in the middle of it, you can thank God. I know you can do that. All everyone in this, within the sound of my voice can do that. So now it's exemplified. A couple more examples and then we'll be done. Exemplified in the life of Paul and Silas Okay, not thanking God for their circumstances, but thanking God, praising God 
in the midst of their circumstances. Now think about this. They go to jail unjustly, say, uh, for something that there were nothing wrong that they did. They're serving God there. And you could think they could react, being in jail, it's like, you could get bitter, you get resentful, you could have a grudge. But what does Acts say about them? Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God. And not everyone else is listening, changing the whole atmosphere there of their environment, worshiping, praising, thanking God. And so, and they're, rather than saying, you know, this stinks, Paul's saying, Silas, this stinks. And here we are in prison. Can you believe what happened? Do you think the Lord even sees our lives? No, none of that. There they are praising God. See, not for their circumstances, but in their circumstances. See, you don't have control. They didn't have control of what happened to them. You don't have control of what happens to you, but you do have control over this. You have control over your attitude. You have your control over your reactions. You have control over that. And so because they had gratitude toward God in the midst of their situation, they're responding with gratitude. It's just awesome. So why should we make the choice of gratitude? Well, the Bible tells us, give thanks in everything. Why? It just happens to be God's will. Just happens to be God's will in Christ Jesus. Gratitude is God's will. Like, what is God's will for me? I don't, I don't know what God's will is. Well, can we just start with gratitude? I mean, there you have it. That grumbling, you are outside of God's will. Every time you grumble, you are outside of God's will. And you're, and you're, you're putting your brain in a negative direction, a direction you don't want to go in. When, you're, when, you're grati- when you have gratitude, your brain's getting better for you. So uh, how many, by no show of hands, but how many people know somebody that's a professional grumbler? You know somebody that's a professional grumbler. Uh, only two people, come on. You know somebody. Uh, so uh, there are professional grumblers out there. So why then? Why would we have, gra- why would you choose gratitude? Well, it's all about what you know. Romans says in Romans 8.28, arguably, it's one of the great scriptures in the Bible, and we know. What you know is so important. James said this, knowing this, the trial of your that your trials work patience, so important what you know. That's why your mind needs to be renewed there. And so, uh, but for some people, what they know is escape them, totally escape them. And so they're thrown into the, in the midst of calamity and confusion and destruction and unanswered prayer. They forget what they know. We got to get back to what we know here, that in all things, God causes everything to work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Knowing that, watch, God's working something out, but I can't see it. Well, of course you can't see it. Faith is the evidence of things not seen here. So we're talking about you, just because you can't see it doesn't mean you can't have gratitude. And so uh, I had, I'm, I'm texting yesterday. I'm texting yesterday with somebody that's suicidal. I mean they're suicidal. They told me if I, if I had a will, I would have committed suicide. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm thinking of everything I can say to them. And so, um, but, but full of, uh, it's like, but don't you know, can you get back to what you know here? And so God's bigger plan is something that you cannot always see. A grateful person then 
knows this. And of course, Jesus Christ. When he's feeding the 5,000, says, and he gave thanks. You give thanks for what you have. Two sardines, five loaves of bread. And someone says, hey, what? What are those among so many? And you can feel like that. I was like, what? It's so little. Give thanks for what you have, no matter how little, so that you can see how God will take a little and make a lot. There's a woman, I want to show you a video. Her name is Jana Banana. She's an old, she was a, a three-time Olympian, a, a high school uh, state uh, championship basketball player, has her own radio show, talk show, uh, international, national speaker, but tells her story that exemplifies and illustrates what we've been talking about. She's a, such a beautiful Christ follower and uh, made reference to her faith multiple times or sometimes in her talk. And gratitude changed her life. And her story began with this. When she was told she would, a, 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 a huge, immense athlete, tremendous athlete, she was told she'll never walk again. She went out into the reception room and there was another paraplegic. And he said, hey, would you, would you, would you scratch my nose? She thought it was such a weird thing. Like he couldn't scratch his nose. And she did. And he told her this. He said, you're the most fortunate person in the world. And that's what she began to talk about, that she began to get uh, the reality of that in her heart and mind. And it changed everything. And friends, I'm just telling you that that what is true in Jana Banana could be true in our lives. It could change everything in your life if you will do gratitude. And so I want to close by saying, I want to close by saying that God wants you to have gratitude in your life, to be grateful for what he's given you. The Bible says, given, it'll be given to you like God gives to you. Out of gratitude, you give back to him. So you really, like spiritually, you get in the game when you, you realize this, that God gives to you, you, you give back to him. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, it'll be poured. So when you give back to God, it's not that you end up with less, you, you really end up with more. But you got to take a step of faith. And uh, half of the people in church world today, they've never taken their first step. So I want to encourage you, if you've never taken the step, to take the first step, take a small step, trust God, express your gratitude to Him and what He has given to you, and give back to Him some of what He's given you, and, and, and begin to be a giver. And so uh, let me close with prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for Jana Banana. Thank you for what the science says. Thank you for what your scripture says about the 10 lepers. May we be like the one. By your grace, may we begin to express gratitude in our lives. In Jesus' name.